0: Mock One Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mock One Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mock One Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. We upload a brand new podcast every Thursday, so be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.
1: If you have a question you want us to answer here on the podcast, just send an email to podcast at mach1fg.com. If you wanna learn more about your financial future, you can schedule a free consultation with any of our advisors here at Mach 1 with absolutely no obligation. Just head to mach1fg.com for more information.
2: Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment. This is Mike Frost along with Matt Walters and we're here today to talk about financial products. Uh, most of you've heard of stocks and bonds, we'll cover those, but there's a multitude of other financial products. So we're going to take, take a little, not a deep dive, but a summary dive into each one of those. And Matt being our whiz kid here, he's going to be able to give us the pros and cons of each of those. All right, Matt, you ready to get going? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, most everybody knows what a stock is. So Matt, what would be the, a good reason for people to invest in just stocks?
1: Yeah. So stocks, we're going to keep all this pretty high level today, but You know, stocks are you're investing and buying a percentage or share of a company, right? A publicly traded company. And so stocks, the pros and cons, right? They can produce really good returns. There's a lot of upside depending on what companies you're investing in, et cetera. But they've been really good long term performers um, for people who invested in stocks. The downside is they can be really volatile at any given day, right? Any given day, there's nothing saying that your your stock in a given company can't drop in by half of its value or more, right? I mean, there's nothing stopping that. So that's those are kind of the pros and cons. Just like anything, risk reward. You can get really good return, but it also comes with a lot of volatility and risk. Um, the the another positive is it's really liquid, right? If it's a especially assuming it's a it's a, uh, uh, it's a highly traded, a lot of volume um, stock, you can get in and out very easily, very
2: efficiently. So that's another benefit. So when you say it, If you own stock, another word for that would be equities. You own a share in a company. And and like last year, last year the market was doing great. Then COVID hit. What happened? Yeah. Bottom bottom fell out. Right. But what happened after that? It came roaring back. So that's volatility. If you look in the dictionary, there's the picture of it right there. So stocks can be volatile. But over the long period of time, for the last 80 plus years, it's averaged almost what? Almost 10% the market has. So. Uh, if you're in for the long term, and that's what we think investing is, stocks could be a good source for you. Sure. Okay, so let's let's transition from stocks. So let's talk about most people here stocks and bonds, the sixty forty split. What about bonds? Are they, they something some people should invest in?
1: Yeah, again, they can. Um, there are reasons why you would invest in bonds. We're not we're not going to get into this today, but we're not big believers or fans of bonds, especially right now. Kind of with where everything's at, but as a bond investor, right? You, you basically own the debt of a company. They're going to pay you a return for, for uh, essentially borrowing your money, and then they'll give you your your uh, principal back when it's come to maturity. Most people, for the most part, you know, bonds are more frequently traded, and so a lot of people don't actually own it through maturity. Um, and bonds can be extremely volatile, just like stocks. I mean, bonds can go up and down with interest rates as they're going up and down. Um, so the traditional way of thinking about it is bonds are maybe a little safer than stocks, which is probably true. Still can definitely be volatile, but your upside's not near as high, right? You're, you're definitely limited, especially I would say in today's world with interest rates where they're at, like the price appreciation of your bonds is going to be limited to probably zero if interest rates stay low and, and start to
2: rise at some point. So where a stock, you own a portion of a company – a bond, you own debt. You've loaned your money out. You're going to get your money back, assuming that company doesn't go out of business. That's right. an assumption. Plus some interest rate. And if you decide to sell that bond to someone else in between time, that depends on the interest rate there. That determines that value. So stocks, own a piece of the company. Bonds, you own the debt. So which one you're comfortable with? Yep. So, which and, one comfortable and one thing I want to throw in here, talking about stocks and bonds, and then the rest of the financial
1: vehicles that we're going to get into, is every last one of these have... Risks associated with them, right? Mike, me and you were talking about this last week. So there's no running from risk when it comes to money and where you put your money. There's risk with putting your money under the mattress at the house, right? It's all a matter of figuring out which risk you're comfortable with and then balancing the pros and cons of where you can put money and which combination of
2: those vehicles and products makes sense for you. And, and as we talked about last week, Matt, yeah, that risk, you got to be sure you identify that risk. Because you said right. putting money under their mattress, there's a risk to that. And people say, well, wait a minute. Unless somebody breaks into my house and buys it. That's one risk. Yeah. But the other risk you may not be aware of is just, everybody's talking about it, is inflation. Right. If you put it under the mattress, that $100 you put under there is going to be worth less a year from now than it is today. So there's risk. You just got to make sure you identify all the risk. And that's kind of what we're doing here today. All right. So we talked about stock, talked about bonds. Let's talk about mutual funds. What yeah. is the difference in a mutual fund and a stock versus a bond? Yeah. So a mutual fund, there's a
1: lot of different layers of mutual fund. And there can be different types and all this. But the, the overarching theme of a mutual fund is it's a it's a fund company. It's an entity trust depending on the structure, that owns a bunch of different assets. So that mutual fund can own real estate, it can own bonds, it can own stocks, it can own all all kinds of different things. So so when somebody says, hey, Matt, I want to buy or invest in a mutual fund, that doesn't necessarily tell me what you're wanting to invest in, um, because we can invest in a mutual fund that invests in all kinds of different things but you're pulling together this fund or trust company or entity is pulling together a bunch of money from a bunch of different investors and they're going out and investing that money collectively into you know a given strategy right so you might have like a large cap value fund well they're going to get a bunch of investors that invest in the fund and then they're going to go out and invest in large cap value based equities or stocks um so there's There's not any really less risk with a mutual fund than there might be in building your own diversified portfolio of large cap value companies. It's just a different way to go about it. You can access those companies easier. You don't have to go and find all those companies yourself. Um, But there's no safety that a mutual fund provides if it's 100% invested in stocks. That you, that you wouldn't have if you just invested
2: in those stocks themselves. Dave Ramsey likes to use the reference mutual, where you get a bunch of people and you mutually fund this entity. right? And that fund then buys stock in 40 to 200 different companies. And again, the strategy would be large cap, could be small cap, could be a bond fund, could right. be an international fund, but you decide what that's gonna be, but the different people can mutually fund that mutual fund. All right, and, and mutual funds, man. Let's talk about this for a second. A lot of people say, "Hey, you know, I get this mutual fund, and and there's no fees on it. How are the fees charged on a mutual fund?"
1: Yeah, so the f- mutual funds, as well as ETFs, which we'll get in here in a second, they have expense ratios or or funds uh, or fees of the fund, right? So there's somebody managing this fund, managing the legal component, the accounting component, the actual investment component of the fund, and they're charging the fund fees. And so where you might not see um, a line item, you know, monthly management fee coming off the top of on your statement, it's built into the performance. Another thing about mutual funds, a difference between this and another type of fund we'll talk about is, you know, they trade it based on their net asset value. You can't liquidate a mutual fund in the middle of the trading day, right? It has to wait until the fund's assets settle at the end of closing of that day and then they basically run a calculation and figure out okay we're invested in these you know thousand companies and they all close the day at x price and so that means our fund is worth x and then the price of that fund adjusts and they'll liquidate and buy and sell shares kind of after close Um, so it's not quite as liquid but still typically highly liquid but in terms of how you how quickly you can get in and out in the middle of a day not as liquid as like a stock or etf which we'll touch on
2: and most mutual funds uh, if you have non-qualified non-IRA non-401k money in there after-tax money those mutual funds are not very tax efficient are they
1: well no so a lot of mutual funds you know they have to distribute earnings dividends growth to the fund holders right and so if um, if that is if you're holding an, a mutual fund in uh, with non-qualified investments right not an IRA or 401k like mike said then you're going to be taxed on the distributions of that fund, which you know might or might not be a big deal, but it's definitely something to be aware of for
2: if you have a lot of money in there or those distributions are large. All right, so to stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Now this thing called ETF, exchange traded fund. Let's really juxtapose that towards the mutual fund with the differences there.
1: Yeah, so definitely some similarities in terms of kind of the pooled approach of, getting money from different people, um, having it come into a trust and then that trust investing in whatever the goal of the trust is or the fund. The differences are, um, they don't have to, they can, and there are some unique situations where they do, but they don't have to distribute the profits and the dividends as regularly. And you know, there's not as many rules around that. So they can be more tax efficient and, um, they're they're traded. They're publicly traded, not that a mutual fund isn't, but they're listed and that they can be traded intraday. So you can go in and put in a sell order 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and that order will very likely be filled within seconds or minutes. Um, and so you can get out of that position. You don't have to wait for the net asset value to be calculated at the end of close. So a little more liquidity there. The expense ratios tend to be less, not always. There's more active funds now that are more in line with mutual funds, but expense ratios tend to be less. And so, as a whole, I would say we kind—you know—just at Aqua, we we kind of tend to lean toward the ETF because we feel like there's more pros than disadvantages. But again, that doesn't mean that one's good or bad. Um, it's just how we use them and for what we use them for. It tends to make a little more sense on the ETF side.
2: And a lot of people we use the ETS for are for non-qualified funds, which tend to be much more tax-efficient. Than the other options we've talked about. Okay, all right. So we've got stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs. Let's go to this thing called annuities. Some people hear the word annuities and they just cringe.
1: Yeah, yeah. So annuities are. I tell people annuities because you hear all kinds of bad stuff on annuities. Right? You got Fisher out there, and you've got people telling you just stay away from annuities. And my thought is annuities are like anything else. There's times where they make perfectly good sense. And there's times where you shouldn't look at an annuity and it's not a good option. We use annuities a lot um, for various reasons. We don't use all types of annuities um, for various reasons, but I would say just don't um, don't judge you know every product um, the same when you hear the word annuity. There, there are a lot of different types, really kind of understand what the pros and cons are. Some of the pros are, you know, relative to market-based risk, they provide a lot more safety, right? You're not going to necessarily, depending on the type of annuity, a fixed or fixed index annuity, you're going to get more safety related to the volatility of the market. The downside is you're also not going to participate in the full upside. You're going to be capped or limited on your growth. Um, one of the benefits too is in if you're taking in, like doing a guaranteed income or future income stream is you get the, you know, you get the pulled benefits of, of the insurance company where, you're, you're now sharing that longevity risk with the insurance or annuity company. And so if you live a very, very long time, you've now maybe guaranteed yourself that income where you couldn't maybe do that on your own. And then lastly, one of the downsides is, well, annuities typically have liquidity restrictions, right? So you want to be aware of that, do you, making sure you have plenty of liquidity, both with the annuity product if you're looking at one, but also outside of it so that you don't get yourself in a situation where, you know you don't have the liquidity that you need
2: we use here at Mach 1 we like annuities in place of bonds if you want safe money we kind of use annuities for that and I like the analogy of annuities are like vehicles you know Matt you and I drive a pickup truck well a pickup truck wouldn't do a whole lot of good if we had six kids we had to haul them so we'd need a minivan or something like that or if we wanted to drive 150 miles an hour, our pickup trucks might not do that. We might want to get a faster car. So depending on what you're using annuity for, there's a type of annuity for that. So if you just hear the word annuity and you automatically have a bad connotation with that, well, that that may or may not be true depending on the type of annuity. One type of annuity we don't do here at Mach 1, variable annuities, because that means it goes up and down and that takes away the safe portion. So that's one thing we won't do. Okay, all right, let's talk about real estate. Where does real estate fit in as an investment?
1: Yeah, I think real estate's a phenomenal investment. I mean, I've owned real estate as an investment personally over time, um, and I've seen both the good and the bad of it, right? And so it's like anything else. I think there are people that should absolutely look at real estate and should absolutely invest in real estate. Some people, uh, you know, there's a certain part of real estate that can be really kind of attractive and kind of fun and, you know, sound really good. I think some people maybe get a little bit ahead of themselves, want to get into it a little too early where maybe they need to build up some more liquidity and kind of get themselves in a better financial situation Um, because there's a lot of risks that are associated with real estate as well. On that note, there's different ways to invest in real estate, right? You've got commercial, you've got residential, you've got agricultural, you've got all kinds of different things that you can get into on the real estate side that provide potentially great streams of income in the future, right? Real estate's been a good inflation against a good hedge against inflation over time, in particular commercial real estate. And so there are definitely advantages to real estate and investing in real estate. We typically like to look at it, let's say, hey, let's make sure we've got our more liquid investments built up and moving along and doing what they need to do. And then when we get to a point where we need to diversify, we need to add other pieces to this because, you know, it doesn't make sense to just keep buying more and more stocks, right? There, there comes a time where, you don't want to just put more money in stocks or you don't want to put more money in annuities or bonds or whatever it may be. That's where you know it can definitely make sense to, to invest in real estate. And then on that note, I'm cramming a lot in here in this short period. On that note, invest in what you know too, right? We, we have people out there who know, love, and, and do real estate for a living. Well, real estate, that's that's different for you than someone who doesn't do it professionally. So maybe you do real estate in a bigger way and but also invest in other things on the side where someone else who doesn't, you know, live and breathe real estate professionally, you know, they don't need to act like they do. And that's where I think people can kind of get themselves in a tough spot.
2: And like Matt said, that real estate is a can be a component of your retirement assets, probably not the only component, and you need to ask yourself some questions. Do you want to be a landlord? Do you want to be the one that gets the phone call that goes fix the leaky toilet or the water heater, the roof that's even in? Or would you just rather have it in the stock market? Because like Matt said, you got to know what you're investing in. So if you're a novice at real estate, eh, you might want to back up. And we like to have your home paid for before you go do more real estate. You can't foreclose on a paid for home. So that's a Dave Ramsey is on there. Okay, so we got real estate. Yes, it could be a part. All right, Matt, we get a lot of questions on this, a lot of feedback on this. Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. Where does that fit in our retirement plans?
1: Yeah, so crypto. I think this is this needs to be the speculative piece of your portfolio. So whatever amount of money that you have that you've allocated to say, hey, this is what I want to go out and be just very risky, very invest in very speculative things. And if crypto wants to be a piece of that, great. You know, if you get it and you believe, but we don't think that that should be a key component to your Retirement investing and money that you need or expect to be there long term. A lot of people have made a fortune in cryptocurrencies. There's no arguing that. And I'm not even going to sit here and say cryptocurrencies are are worthless. We had a podcast on this a while back, and I I made that kind of argument of hey like this this stuff could be around and keep appreciating for years, and and always be around. But again, that doesn't mean it's not a speculative investment. It is, and let's we just need to make sure we treat it as such. So. It's, it's figuring out what amount of money you want to put towards speculative investments and then keeping it to that or whatever that needs to be. The pros and cons of it are, obviously the pros are, hey, if you time it right, if you get it right, you can make a ton of money. The, the negatives are it's ex- insanely volatile, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it can, it, it can go up and down with the best of them. And it can also be really complicated. I, I listen to a podcast and they talk about crypto a lot and they talk about all of just the, the different fees of getting your money out and transferring it. And sometimes, you know, if you're trying to use it and it just can get really complicated. So if, um, unless you're really wanting to invest time and in understanding it, it's not like a stock that you can go open up a brokerage account and buy 10 shares of Walmart literally in probably 10 minutes. Crypto and that kind of asset class investing, that's going to take a little bit more
2: time. The key word you use there was speculative. And kind of our rule of thumb is we wouldn't put any more than maybe five, no more than 10% of your portfolio in any speculative. That would include your own company's stock. So just know that would be the speculative piece that if you lost it all, you'd still pretty much be okay. But just know in Bitcoin, there's nothing regulating it. There is no regulation whatsoever on that. So just know that piece. If you look up Dogecoin, it started as a joke, and it's still a joke. There's nothing behind it. But it's people are still buying it and driving that price up. It's, the, the, the,
1: it's We all fall into these own, our own biases. Right. And myself included. But the thing with the crypto um, stuff is that, you know, it's about the decentralization and how people aren't controlling it. Well, my two cents on that, you know, there's a there's a handful of people that control and own most of the crypto assets out there. Um and you don't have to accept that if you want. That's, that's true, okay? <laughs> so there's a smaller group of people that own a vast majority of the crypto assets out there, and they're controlling that. And and if you think that, you know, all the little investors out there in crypto are truly having their fair say, fair say and share in what happens and the, the volatility and that, you know, I think it, you just need to be honest with yourself about that, that, that the people at the top, whether it be politicians or the wealthy or the people who know, they're the ones who are going to control all of this when it's said and done and so
2: at the end of the day cryptocurrency is a computer program yeah and somebody somebody some group of somebody's are controlling that okay enough that on bitcoin all right matt let's talk about life insurance yeah. life insurance life insurance as an investment yeah How does so, that work
1: so life insurance this is the first thing you have to keep in mind life insurance is not an investment so you would never want to buy a life insurance policy if you had zero life insurance need okay now that said if you have a life insurance need there are situations where it can also provide certain benefits on the investment side. Maybe, maybe you're able to um, put some money away, tax efficiently, into a life insurance policy. Again, I wouldn't recommend you do that if you don't need the life insurance component of it. And you wouldn't do that if you also didn't have everything else already taken care of. Um, but it can. the pros and cons are kind of similar to maybe an annuity, right? You're limited on the upside, probably pretty safe overall. Um, liquidity is going to be an issue. You don't want to put a ton of money in there that you're going to need to get everything back out. Um, but it can be pretty tax efficient. You can put money in there. It can grow tax free as long as it's set up and and structured correctly. Um, it can provide a decent rate of return, typically better than, you know, like a bank account or something. So in terms of your safe money, so there's, there's, again, it's not a one size fits all. There's people out there who, who all they need is term insurance. That's a vast majority of people. Um, there's other people that have estate planning needs. They need more advanced permanent, you know, life insurance. There's people who just have really, really high incomes, and they're just looking, hey, I just need to put money somewhere, and I can't just keep putting in the bank or buying stocks, like we talked about. So maybe life insurance is a per- perfectly appropriate thing. So um, definitely something to be aware of and to know. And there's advantages and disadvantages, um, but it's not a, it's not for everybody, and it, it is not life insurance is not an investment but it can be an asset that can be beneficial to own.
2: As Matt said, it really depends on your situation. So don't automatically think life insurance, oh, I don't need that. Well, you might be a prime candidate. So, okay, Matt, Listen, is a real quick recap. We talk about stocks. We talk about mutual funds, bonds, exchange traded funds, annuities, real estate, crypto. We just talked about life insurance. The last thing we're going to talk about today is precious metals. What? First of all, what does that mean? Yeah, precious,
1: I mean, precious metals like gold, silver, um, platinum, palladium. You have a bunch of different precious metals out there, gold and silver being the most common two types. And you know, the reasons you would invest in gold and silver are, in my opinion, they're not a great um, short-term investment, right? I don't think you should m- trade gold and silver because they're so hard to, to trade, essentially, and get the pricing right. Now, if you're in wanting to invest in something that maybe provides um, – you know, hyperinflationary hedge. I think the same argument that some people make for crypto, you use gold and silver for the same reasons. And I think that I can understand an argument for all three in the, in the case of a hyperinflationary kind of scenario. So making a small investment, you know, two, three, four, five 5% of what you have into something like that to protect yourself can definitely make sense. The disadvantages are, you know, everything else can be moving along quite nicely for extended periods of time and you might own gold and silver, and it's sitting there going backwards or doing nothing, right? We've seen that over time, and so you just have to be okay with that. You don't want to use it as, um, you know, a big piece of your overall retirement planning. But um, I, I, I see the pros and cons, and when somebody comes in and says, Matt, you know, I've, I'm really concerned about where we're headed, or hyperinflation, or the American dollar losing its value. And they're like, I'm, I'm thinking about putting like three or four percent of what we've got in gold. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to talk them out of that because I think there's actually, you know, there might could be some wisdom in that and, and make sense of that. Um, but it all, like everything we've talked about, you have to keep it in its right place and use it in the right quantity and amount.
2: And when you own gold or silver or precious metals, you know that 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 product doesn't produce anything. It's a store of value. Right. You're hoping that you're purchasing it today at X. And that value is going to be held going forward, and hopefully it appreciates. But it doesn't make anything; it doesn't produce income. You're just you're putting your hope in that the store of value is in. There.
1: It's the same. It's 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 another speculative investment, just like crypto, right? Just to your point, it's not producing anything. The the cash flows of the gold bar you own are going to be zero and always be zero. Um, so so it's a speculative investment. And so like Mike, like you said, keeping that percentage on the lower end and and. You know, whether it goes to zero or just never grows or does anything for you, you need to be comfortable with that, whatever amount you put towards gold, silver, crypto, whatever
2: it may be. Wow, we've covered a lot of territory today, Matt. Great information, got a lot of broad information. If you've heard something today that you're like, you know what, I want to know more about that, give us a call here at Mach 1 Financial. If phone number is 479 876. 2100. Listen to future podcasts. Just same place you're listening to this one. Uh, And again, if we can help you learn more about these, we're happy to do so. And Matt, you provided a lot of information for us today. I think you've also got a thought of the day for us.
1: Yeah, I actually have two, both from Warren Buffett. I thought these were really good and um, applied to what we talked about today. So the first one is a simple rule dictates my buying. This is again from Warren Buffett. Be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. So I think that's good. And even more uh, even a better one for today, based on all the different financial vehicles and things that we talked about, is the important thing is to know what you know and know what you don't. Amen. And, and the, 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 uh, one of the key attributes to a good investor
2: is accepting that you don't know near as much as you think you do. That's a fact. All right, well, Matt, thank you for sharing those thoughts today from Warren Buffett. If you don't know who Warren Buffett is, Google him. You'll be glad you did. All right, folks, that's it for today's podcast. Uh, We look forward to you all joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment.
0: Mach 1 Financial Group LLC, Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak to your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit Mach1Financial.com disclosures.